Hello and welcome to the Joe's Art History Podcast, a podcast which celebrates all things art historical every single day. Welcome back. It's episode, oh my goodness, 24. We're nearly, nearly 25. This is, yeah, we're fairly getting through them. This week on the Joe's Art History Podcast, I sit down with Leeds-based visual artist and art world professional, Lauren Harrison to discuss the idea of art as a full immersive experience. Well, first of all, what do we mean by saying a full immersive experience? Insert air quotes here. As this is not a phrase that's genuinely associated with art and indeed the art world. Well, it should be, in my opinion, and my talk with Lauren will definitely sway your decision in the correct direction and there are plenty of artists out there creating incredible works which sole success lie in audience interaction and participation. Lauren talks us through three such examples of art as a full immersive experience and we debate the pros and cons of the art world fully embracing the digital age. Now I don't know if you've been living under a rock for the past year but in case you haven't heard 2020 had this thing called COVID-19 happen to it where the majority of the world broke and shut down and in the UK where I am based the art world really has really suffered our institutions haven't been able to open and even though for example on the 12th of April my gallery can open because it's a commercial space larger institutions such as the British Museum the V&A Tate they can't open until May so it's really really important that we have these conversations of how these institutions can perhaps embrace the digital and how it can actually be not only just a lifeline but a way of encouraging people to get out and interact with art because art should be fun it should be enjoyable and this is a really great chat where Lauren really sort of bangs the drum for yeah making art fun because it's not really a word that you associate with art and it should be because art's hilarious I mean, art is a lot of things, but fun isn't one of the words that comes to mind. This is an incredible chat, which will really get you thinking. So sit back and relax as Lauren and I discuss art as a virtual experience. So we're going to be talking about the idea of art as a full immersive experience. And I kind of just have to to ask, really, what got you interested in this topic? I guess I've always kind of been um, interested in art being quite consuming. I, I, I studied art at uni and I really enjoyed getting stuck into it uh, academically. But, you know, something there's something about an immersive art experience. It doesn't matter whether you have gone to uni or whether you've just thought, oh, that looks nice. Um, I think it's just a universal feeling and everyone's kind of on the same page. Um, yeah, it can also, it can mean different things to different people, but they're having a shared experience, which I really, really mm. love. Um, so I also um, take part in live visuals, which is it's where it's all kind of come from, I think, um, the idea of a shared experience where everyone's in a room at one time and they're all experiencing the same thing as the next person but it's all kind of meditative and meaning something different to that person at that point in their life and I just think it's perfect that they can walk away from that and have 
had a, a memory and something that they can say that they did. And I think art as an immersive experience, it, it just, it appeals to everyone, I think, is probably the, the main thing. Completely agree with you. What I love about this is just exactly reiterating what you said, that you don't have to have an art history degree or know anything about it, and, and it will sort of sit with you in some way. But what I really love about this topic and, and how uh, your first example of the works you have given me, when you think of, you know, a full immersive experience, you, you perhaps think it's this huge big hall or gallery space and there's lights and sounds everywhere and it's completely 360 all over you. Uh-huh. But your first example that you've given me completely rewrites the rule book. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about the first artist and this work? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's Pipilotti Wrist. Um, if you haven't heard of her, she's well worth looking up. Um, she's quite balmy and that's one reason why I love her. But um, yeah. <laughs> the piece is called Selfless in the Bath of Lava. And it's from all the way back in 1994 where technology wasn't as good as it is now. And she simply uh, created a video of herself um, kind of looking up at the camera uh cursing it um basically in a, in a pool of uh, what looks like lava and, and fire and it's installed just in the floor so you you have to physically get down on your hands and knees to experience this video and you could miss it as well a lot of people uh, when I saw this piece uh, when I went to see her exhibition eyeball massage in uh, London uh, a lot of people just didn't really recognize it um you know they just thought oh it's something you know, in the floor, they didn't see it as part of the exhibition. So every now and then people will be down on their hands and knees getting into this piece to kind of like check it out. And obviously that's what was great about the piece as well. The audience doing that physicality and getting on their hands and knees to watch it created the piece because the idea was that you, the viewer, were God looking down on this individual, you know, that's been shown in the video in the floor. And the fact that the audience is forced into moving their body in a certain way by the artist without them actually being there, I think is amazing. Like It is immersive because otherwise you'd miss it. Well, that's it. And I think, you know, like you said, I love the idea that it's this, it literally is like a tiny crack in the floor, like you would if you were walking over perhaps like a, an old hardwood floor and there's a little gap. And there's some brilliant images of like, you know for size reference of like people standing next to it with their converse on yeah and yeah it's a blink and you'd miss it or not because it's not even roped off in any sort of way to like protect it if that makes sense yeah it's just you could could essentially walk right over it and I just I love this idea of kind of you as the viewer playing god but also having to really almost get down on your hands and knees i think when an artwork makes you interact in a space differently i mean how often do you get on your hands and knees outside your house or when you drop something do you know yeah <laughs> it's, it's not a typical behavior and i think in how she makes the viewer interact differently mm-hmm. and move differently for a piece it's a way of really making that artwork stick with you completely completely if um if you ever get a chance to see um any of our exhibitions i would 100% recommend it in terms of immersion but the way that she uses the screen um or lack thereof is fantastic there's some pieces I remember that were inside handbags for some reason. Uh, no. <laughs> so you just had to like <laughs> stick your head in a handbag and then you'd see it or 
you know, just re in really unusual places, maneuvering the audience in a way that you wouldn't really anticipate going into a white cube area. And I just think she just turns mm. this whole idea of how you see art on its head. And I think it for me, it was a massive eye opener as to how art can be viewed and how it can exist in a space. It doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be contained you know, in, mm. in a screen. Um, it doesn't have to be contained in a frame. It can be anything, anywhere. Like the possibilities are endless. And I'm sure anyone that walked into the exhibition not knowing what to expect would probably come away with it the same the same expectations or the same thoughts yeah absolutely what strikes me is I've had this conversation like continuously with people with the whole idea of there's a lot of people that find entering a gallery space very intimidating and the idea that you're not really told how to look at art but you're expected to you know the traditional way of viewing it is it's on walls <laughs> or it's on a plinth but what I really love is this kind of gives you an even playing field because there's no sort of this is how airports here you should be you know you should move through the room in this direction and, and you'll view the paintings one two three mm -hmm. here it kind of regardless of where you're coming from background understanding you don't know what to expect like you said oh okay so we're going to go stick our head in handbags and we're going to look on the floor now and then we're going to look in this room and it's going to be completely 360. Uh -huh. I think it's a really clever way of I don't know, sort of flipping the art world on its head because it's it's very traditional. Everything is very, this is how mm -hmm. it's always been done. So this is how we do it. And I think when works like this happen, it sparks a really interesting conversation of why do we do the things that we do and why do we display art in the way that we display art and have actually, have we missed a trick? Because I, well, for first of all, I had actually, I'd never heard of this artist until you had like pinged her mm -hmm. to me. And she's huge, she's yeah. absolutely huge. She's an absolute superstar. She's a, a Swiss artist represented by Hauser & Worth, one of the biggest galleries on the planet. And yeah, I just think, and, and I com I've completely missed her in my, in, in my sort of little pocket of art that I'm interested mm -hmm. in. But she's just so, in it's so interesting how she plays with traditions, not just in how you view art, but also essentially video art, because this is, like you said, this is 1994. Yeah. I love it. I just think it's it's so great. Is she in any sort of permanent collections? Do you know that people can perhaps go and oh. go and see examples? Um, I I don't know whether she is. You know, um, I know I know that she uh, her work does get um, referenced a fair bit. So mm. um, Beyonce's video for Lemonade is kind of like a homage to one of her pieces. Um, oh. So basically. The protagonist, um, so the people that are risking her work, but also Beyonce in, in the video, is walking down, basically walking down a path and just smashing up cars as they're walking along, but it looks very angelic. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, she does get referenced quite a bit. I know that she's also got a film, which I think I've not seen it myself. It's on my to-watch list. I think it's called, like, Pepperminter. Ah, yeah. Uh, I'd read a wee bit mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. So that gives a really good idea about, like, her world that she's building and the visuals that she does from what I, the small trailer that I have seen. So that's, I think that's a really good way to kind of get into her way of thinking because once you're kind of thinking the way that she's thinking, you, it gets really playful. But in terms of any pieces that are in any permanent collections, there's none that I'm aware of, but I'm certain there will be just because her work has spanned so many decades and informed so much of like popular culture.
Well, yeah, that's it. And um, actually, so something interesting that that I found is um, so obviously everyone's heard of Google, but also they have this sort of sub category umbrella company called Google Arts and Culture for people that are listening that maybe haven't heard it. And they've developed this app where you can view this piece in relation to the size of you. So it's an, an augmented reality thing. So if we'll go on, I can leave a link to it in the show notes below. So essentially you download this app either for any sort of phone mm-hmm. that you have and it sort of places the artwork in view with you. So if you're sort of standing looking at the floor, it will show you next to your shoe oh, wow. what the size of what this video artwork is. So I think that's another way of, you know, making making it sort of accessible. And yeah, it's, it's just so interesting how technology you know something that was created in 1994 that it's advanced so much that now it's in this app that you can view from wherever you are on the beach I mean who's on the beach (laughs) at the moment but (laughs) so interesting that is mad um that you know I mean of course there is an augmented reality that where you can see the size of it to your to your shoe and, and what have you but I guess it still can't take away from actually being there um unless you were to wear a VR headset and be completely immersed mm. you know you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily um be able to fully appreciate it because on a screen you just get completely distracted by everything that's going on around yeah. you well I think it's the age-old thing you know that I mean you you work in the art world as well you're an artist mm. like you always encourage someone if you can go and see these things go and see them because that you really do lose something when it's represented on a screen or, or in a book and yeah there's there's ways of of experiencing things in real life but I think that kind of really nicely brings us on to the second thing that you brought to my attention which was um very sort of different and very sort of 2020-esque technology at its best sort of rewriting how people can interact or sort of rewriting the narrative really of how we expose people to art and art history and potentially don't call it that and this is incredible van gogh experience so do you want to tell us a little bit about about this and and how this came to your attention Um, yeah um so it's a van gogh experience there are two the two places in the uk that are doing at the moment one's york and one's liverpool and the idea is a space i think in the york um experience it's the minster or um, a large church which is transformed before your eyes in VR uh, live projections, um, just transformed into basically Van Gogh paintings. It basically leads you uh, through a narrative with Van Gogh. And I, I just think it's absolutely fascinating. You know, I think it's it's such a fantastic way to revive something that a lot of people may have, you know, put to one side as one of the, the old masters, well, not the masters, um, you know, one of, one of the people that you you should know about, you know, you know that he chopped off his ear, you've seen the, the paintings of, you know, Starry Sky and you're familiar, but you just, you distance from it because it's not a modern artist. So to bring that into to life and in front of you, I, I, I just find it really fascinating the way that they're reviving all these artists through these forms. Yeah, well, that's it. And for me, I had seen something similar to this and so when you sent me the link initially I was like oh I know what this is this is the one that's mm-hmm. in Paris and when I clicked and I was like what this is in the UK mm-hmm. this is amazing um so I'm absolutely chomping at the bit to, to get up to York whenever I can to see this I love it I think this is just exactly what you said it's a really clever way of using technology and a way of I think introducing people to artists 
in a space where and in an environment that they feel more comfortable in because I sometimes feel like going into a gallery can be very intimidating and you have these big white walls these big vast empty rooms but here you're completely enveloped by the painting you're essentially exactly exactly that you're a part of that story you're a part of that event you know um you're as much as part of it as the projections are and and I think I think that's really great it really reminds me of the work that some artists have put on as part of um light night in Leeds um I know that there are other events across the, the country that are similar uh where they you know they invite artists to put together something for one night or two nights throughout the city and there is a quite a lot of like projection mapping or audience participation and I think this idea of participation is you know it's bleeding into art a lot more now you know to try and get people involved and more engaged with, with the arts um, and I think it's just a great way to you know take kids along to go see the the York Van Gogh experience and you know that could then spark on you know further inspiration for the kids and I just think it's uh, yeah I think it's fantastic it's it is and it's it's genius and I just think whoever came up with this idea of sort of merging you know these great this great painter to I don't know to to sort of reimagine it in some way and it just kind of shows you that so it really reiterates for me anyway that you know as an art historian regardless of how many times you've looked at something you can always look at it and then approach it in a different way and I think that's exactly what this experience does and it's it's not crazy expensive and more importantly what I love about it is that it's not happening in <laughs> London <laughs> you're not wrong yeah the north needs uh, needs to have stuff like this to remind people that you know there is things going on in the north it's not just London centric well that's it and I think and this is a touring exhibition so hopefully it will come to to more places Mm -hmm. but I just think it's so important that people grow up and are able to get to things like this and they don't have to make a so for example I grew up in a small town just outside of Glasgow Mm -hmm. in Scotland and we have a heritage centre so it's a coal and steel town so our heyday has long since gone and yes, okay, we have exhibitions in, you know, in Glasgow and in Edinburgh, but really all the big exhibitions that happen in the UK happen in London. And I feel it adds to this whole elitist aspect of engaging with art and that you have to be in the capital to even be privileged enough to, to access yeah. And what I love about something like this is that it's essentially, it's projectors, and it can be packed up into a car and it can essentially be shown anywhere. And I love that idea and getting more p- people excited about not just this artist, but you, like you said, you know, you can go away, you can read about these mm-hmm. things and, and you just don't know where that's going to take you. It might even inspire you to get, you know, the paints and the pens out yourself. And what a brilliant way to to experience art. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that having this kind of experience, especially uh, outside of of London, you know, it'll it'll definitely spark people's creative juices. I'm sure, uh, you know, and and they'll want to learn more. I uh, studied in Reading, so I was very lucky to have London on my doorstep. You know, to be able to visit lots of exhibitions because it's only half an hour away. Whereas I've really struggled in in the north to to be able to have access to the type of exhibitions that I was exposed to. 
in London. Mm. So, you know, I, I've, as an artist, I found that hard. But imagine, you know, not being an artist, being someone that, you know, just, just wanting to check something out. And I think a lot of the larger museums up, up north, you know, going back to what you said about being from um, heritage towns, you know, coal mining, there's a lot of towns around the area that that industry is just no longer there. So a lot of them are, are looking at art from a point of view, well, you know it's not it doesn't do art for me because they've not been exposed to it because they're not really being given I guess the privilege of of seeing uh what art can do for a a space an area or anything like that so yeah it's really good to see these kind of experiences like bleeding bleeding into up here um I'm just I'm just hoping that there will be more in the in the near future Well, that's it. And what I love as well is one of the taglines for this exhibition is no one is left untouched. And that it kind of emphasised what you're saying there. It doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is. You know, if you did grow up in a Mm -hmm. heritage town or even in the middle of the countryside in nowhere, these that this can still touch you in some way. And it can be a completely personal experience to everybody that walks in. I mean, you and I can Mm -hmm. put this together and I could leave crying and you could leave being like, oh my gosh, I feel really inspired to do something. And it's just, it's such a clever way of how technology and art can come together. And I'm speaking from someone who, so I currently, I work for an art Mm -hmm. gallery in London and I've really seen a resistance in the art world to how technology can be implemented to, I don't know, expose more people to it. And, and not use it as this tool to, to sell it can be it's such an important education tool and that's exactly what something like this is it's a it sort of revolutionizes the teaching oh, yeah. of art history and I think it's incredible I mentioned very briefly at the start so of course this one the one that the Van Gogh one that we're speaking about is um is in York but although, like we said it's touring so it's probably going yeah. to be moving around there is something similar in Paris and anyone that's watched uh, Emily in Paris during lockdown there's a scene in Emily in Paris where they visit this and it's called the workshop of light so Altier de Luminaries sorry that my friend <laughs> is appalling Uh, even worse than when I say that my brother-in-law is French so (laughs) you're listening I'm terribly sorry for the pronunciation those uh those classes have been money well spent not but yeah so they started in this is an old foundry so Mm -hmm. an old bronze foundry which was abandoned and it's on the outskirts of the city and essentially since 2018 Mm -hmm. they have three exhibitions a year where they again it's these immersive experiences where you go and you become completely enveloped and become part of an artist's training and, 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 and work. It's really amazing. So they've just had a Vincent van Gogh one and they're now sort of moving on to a Salvador oh, yeah. Dali and a Gaudi, who is an architect. And you'll know him from sort of his incredible buildings in Barcelona and all over the place. But um, I'll leave a link to that in the show notes below because even just the, the snippet of... Well, here's a you know the sort of teaser of both exhibitions are mind blowing what they're doing with these spaces and how you can interact with them, and what's what I love about it is they're also not disgustingly expensive to get to. They're maybe like eleven, twelve pounds, but it's going to be money that you'll spend, and it's an experience, and it's something that I think we've had enough of staying inside <laughs> after COVID. So. <laughs> we're all looking for these amazing new experiences what a great way to like you know meet your friends and what a great thing to do with your family or a bunch of people is Mm -hmm. just go and experience 
these artists and, and even if you don't particularly like somebody like Dali or Gaudi or Van Gogh I would still encourage you to go and, and experience this and what the potential future of the completely and and like you say the price point is is quite accessible for what you're getting out of it as well you know you, you especially in London you can expect to pay like 25 quid to go to an exhibition sometimes more oh, and yeah. you know that's like you say it comes off as elitist you know and it's exclusionary to those that maybe can't afford you know to pay, pay that price point whereas something like this which is an inclusive experience you know it's a shared experience that you could have like you say with your friends and or and the the wider public at that time you know it could spark a conversation mm. a moment with with that community that are at that time in that space and I think that's that's something that you can't necessarily put a price on but the barrier is more or less always the price mm, but it's the potential that's so exciting and like I actually I couldn't wait to talk to you Lauren because I was like oh I've got so I've got so many things to say on these and it's really really exciting and as someone who um, you know I'm from an art background I am in no way sort of tech savvy minded I'm delighted when I can get an app to work <laughs> genuinely I'm I'm delighted so for me and being able to access something like this it's it's going to be amazing and as the technology gets better these experiences are only mm-hmm. going to get better and better and better but there's an artist that you've introduced this so there's two artists that you've introduced me to today and going on the idea of using technology as a way of not only experiencing art but interacting with art and creating something that you remember and is personal to you you've introduced me to this incredible artist yeah Chris Milk has uh is he's been on my radar a little while now but he's he's definitely one to watch works a lot with technology I first saw his piece at an exhibition at the Barbican which was it was about technology and art basically and uh, there were some absolutely stunning pieces in in the whole exhibition Uh, so I went twice it's the first exhibition I've actually gone twice to because I I needed to take my partner to it it's like you've got to see that you you've just got to be a part of it can't explain it I love when an exhibition does that I love I yeah love it's, that. It, um yeah it was one of those things and a lot of the pieces um still stick with me today but this one is called the treachery of sanctuary and he um he sets up three large screens where you're invited as the viewer and only one at a time as well so whilst other people might be watching you're the only one interacting with the screens and your movement is reflected in the life cycle of a bird throughout it and you you, you move across it and the more you flail your arms you can see it's responding to it and it's it's really it's really stunning because you feel your impact on that piece and that piece wouldn't exist without you being there as well so it's kind of it's reliant on that viewer artwork relationship which I think is really beautiful as well yeah and there's a really brilliant video on Chris's website about the piece and I'll leave a link to that in the show notes below but what I love about it is that they is that they film an audience interacting with it and Chris himself is like what he gets the most joy of is like seeing people interact with it and he's like what a great thing for like a kid on his dad's shoulders to to go and experience together and I just think there's this real sense of he's kind of creating like a community around this piece even if it's just for the 15 20 Mm -hmm. minutes that you're interacting with it so it's something that will stay with you forever when you when you leave that space it's incredible this 
this sort of life cycle that you go through. And yeah, I just think he's incredible. But again, when was this exhibition at the Barbican? And maybe I should like <laughs> to you more often. You seem to be so on the ball with what's happening in London. And <laughs> oh, I no, this there. is 2014, <laughs> so a little while uh, ago now. So it was it was called Digital Revolutions, and it just explores all the technology advances, uh, what what was happening at that time, like you know, going back to like 1970, 80. Like what what could we do then that we can't do now, or what? You know, what are we pushing the boundaries on at the moment? And, you know, there's a lot of uh, not just Chris's uh, piece, but there was a lot of participation pieces, which I think was another thing that kind of opened my mind is, you know, the need for an audience to create a moment. I think that that's like as an artist got my mind thinking and about creating those shared experiences. There was one as well. I, I can't remember the artist. It was, I think it was one of the commissions that they had. It was basically a game where you you positioned lasers. It, like you had to follow um, certain shapes around, but you, you had like 30 other people doing it at the same time. So you're like trying to avoid bumping into them uh, whilst maneuvering these lasers within the space. Again, it's one of those things that you walk away from as an experience. And it doesn't matter whether you're dissecting it you know, from a critical point of view or not, you know, being able to walk away and go, I had, I had fun, I think is a phrase that a lot of people don't associate with art. <laughs> and 100%. yeah, and I think, I think that, you know, there needs to be a, a, some sort of change. Art should be fun. It should be critical. You know, you should be able to think about it, but you should be able to see the the playfulness and you know it's not about standing in front of a painting and going and ch you know stroking your chin and going yeah that that's good that that's you know objectively good you know it, it it's it's not about that it's about like getting involved and losing yourself but losing yourself in a different way to how you would in just a white uh cube you know kind of oh I've lost track of time more of like losing yourself and losing that I guess preconceived idea of how you should enjoy art or look at art it's just letting go how to behave in uh -huh. a space where you yeah are. I was just thinking about another exhibition that I managed to go to um in the same year actually in 2014 I was visiting Paris uh and at Palais de Tokyo uh they had this um exhibition called Inside it was transformative for me. I I spent three, four hours in that space. And it, it was just people's different concepts of in, being inside. Obviously, it's kind of a bit meta because you're inside the gallery. But all the artists' interpretations were so different. I spent 20 minutes going through a sellotape tube <laughs> that's <sort of> created, <laughs> you know, just having fun in, in like, it was like a a kid's play area but someone had constructed it completely out of sellotape you know it's it's things like that that you you just kind of immerse yourself in there was another piece which was Welsh miners singing in in Welsh uh, on the slag heap and um you know they were talking about going down into the mines and and then you you, you had all the lights that were what's the word they're kind of like giving giving the the reflective idea that you were actually traveling down into the mines and it's it was just all these really interesting concepts, you know, all personal, because obviously the, it's just one word, but that's how the artist has interpreted the same word and how it means to be inside. Another one, it was raining in a house. So they'd flip that on its head. It, yeah, it was it was very bizarre, but very, very fun.
art should be fun and and talking about it should be fun and having sort of conversations like you said you know that there is a, a, a space and a time for critical thinking and review of things but I also think even in a gallery space and I'm just speaking from from my personal experience when people enter the sculpture gallery that I work for for example they yes. instantly start to whisper to each other and there's been times I'm like don't don't worry about it you can have a full-blown mm-hmm. conversation or if someone's phone goes they, they step out of the space yes. because they feel that's not how they should behave and I'm just sort of like where did someone write this down mm-hmm. <laughs> that you can't talk in a gallery space you can't talk to me who's on the desk. I'm I'm if you ever come into Pangolin London mm-hmm. and in King's Cross, talk to me because like that's part of my job as well. Like I want you to enjoy the pieces and, and understand, talk to the people that are in these spaces. My, one of my favorite things to do is to go to the National mm-hmm. Gallery in London. Again, that's for you to go in. And I talk to the security guards because they are in these rooms all day, every day. These guys know their stuff. It's amazing. Have conversations with people, interact have fun and I think something like Chris's piece does that it just gives you this sense of fun another artist that I've experienced that with is um Oliver Ellison so he had a huge retrospective at the Tate in 2019 (laughs) just before the world fell apart and he had loads of these things that you you had to interact with with the art pieces and there was this one where it was essentially just this huge long corridor that he pumped full of smoke and colored light and you had to just make your way from one end to the other now that sounds naff when you explain it out loud but when I say that the smoke and the fog is so thick that you can't really see your hand in front of your face and it's this sense of displacement and where your mind goes and for one person and then next to me there'd be this (laughs) child running through it killing themselves laughing because they thought it was hilarious and that's also, and then it changed my view of the experience because mm-hmm. I was like, when do you ever feel so displaced in a in a controlled environment? It's so clever how you can use things like that and use technology, which I think brings us on to a really important point that uh, that you've brought up when we were sort of chatting before we before we started recording. Is of course with everything that's happened with COVID and the the world has been mm-hmm. completely catapulted online, and is this now a time for museums and galleries to to sort of embrace the digital and and think about how they can interact with it differently I mean what what what's been your experience as as you know as a maker as a creative and seeing the world and it's um I've got to say it's been it's been quite difficult like like I say a lot of my um work is dependent on an audience uh in a space so that's been really difficult to kind of transfer online. In terms of, uh, you know, experiencing art myself, I've I've struggled as, as well. But I've I've found that I've used the time to kind of, I guess, think more critically about the pieces. Whereas in terms of accessibility, it's probably one of the hardest times um, that a lot of people will be having to to kind of feel connected with the art world. I know you can get. Um, you can do virtual exhibitions in some spaces or, mm. you know, where you're physically moving, like the Google Arts and Culture, you know, like you would on Google Maps. But that to me is a little bit weird <laughs> just because you're, it's it's voyeuristic <laughs> in a really, I find, kind of perverse way. But also, like, it's quite stagnant. You know, it's like, oh, look at this one. 
let's move on look at this one let's move on and a lot of other exhibitions as well um you know there might do virtual exhibitions where there's a space that looks like a gallery and then you know you just press an arrow and it switches the picture um that i find more distracting than the the you know looking at the piece this false environment and again it goes back to you mentioning about going into a gallery and you know someone's phone rings and then you know they go out the space or they they whisper and it's just like it's this perceived um way that you know people should be viewing it you should be sat down and I think that's weird that that's translated into the virtual world when that's completely opposite of what you might be doing um at that time you know I for me I'm distracted mm. like pretty much 90% of the day so to get me to sit in front of a, a screen to try and you know be captivated by something is hard and it's harder still you know if you've got all these I don't know like I say it's just this idea oh there's you know there's a white bench in front of this frame that where the artwork will be it's like well maybe I wanted to sit right in front of the piece and see how you know how close I could see those paintbrush strokes and maybe I wanted to stand at far back at the room and just actually people watch and you, you can't get that digitally. You can't get that digitally at all. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think that's where it struggles. I know a lot of um, museums have done like talks, um, you know, where they've had someone critically explain a piece um, and try and engage an audience that way. Um, and I think that is that is a useful way to try and engage people in the art world, but it doesn't necessarily connect as much. You know, it's it's like when you're you're watching something on, I don't know, on YouTube and the ads come up and you're like, go away, ads, go away. You know, like I just want to see what I wanted to see. And I think having having those distractions mm. just I don't know, it 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 doesn't really work for me. There's too many screens going on in my life at the moment and it, they're all they all mean the same whereas if you go to a gallery you're completely involved in in what you're seeing and you can lose yourself that way it's it's uh it's not happening <laughs> with a screen yeah it's so funny because I'm sort of sitting on the fence here because I completely agree with you with the whole idea of and I'd never thought of it before that idea of how you're supposed to behave you know be quiet take you know if you get a phone call leave it's that very sort of quiet reflective space and you're completely right that that has been for a lot of places Mm -hmm. translated online and you have to sort of move through it in a very sort of methodical way and I'm a bit like you when I enter a space if a painting catches my eye but it's got number seven written on it I don't care like I'm I'm straight for number seven and I I don't know it's so interesting but I think for me so when, when we're thinking about the idea that it's very stagnant and you have to move through it this very rigid way if you will I think I get excited about the concept of how far we can take it and this is just the beginning of it and we've only really scratched the surface of what we can do with it because you have to remember big institutions you know they're run by people who are very resistant to change so the fact that they're even thinking about doing live videos and and talks through a gallery my question to them is why has that not always been the case because for example speaking from my experience 
So in October, just before we went back into the second lockdown, mm-hmm. we realized in our space, because I work for a commercial gallery, that we couldn't have a, a private view in the same day that we have a private view. Normally, we couldn't have the same amount of people in the space. So we had to pivot. And what we decided to do was live stream uh, the private view that was happening in the gallery, but between the artist and my director. And what we did was we walked around and the artist then, because we're sculpture, could then interact with the piece and pick it up and turn it around and show people. And it was a different way, but uh, my job was essentially to sort of answer questions on Instagram Live and on YouTube as the talk was happening. And we had people in like Canada, America. So, and that for me struck the question of, it's another way of making it inclusive for people that perhaps can't afford Mm -hmm. flight or can't afford to get on a train to to come to these places. But I think, oh yeah, you're so right. I I had never really thought of it in that it comes across quite (laughs) stagnant. I think for me, I'm just delighted that I can interact (laughs) with art and, and in some way but of course it never takes away like we said right at the start of this it never takes away from Mm -hmm. seeing something in real life I remember the first time that struck me was um when I was a student and there was an incredible impressionist exhibition at the National Gallery in Edinburgh and I went along and it was so there's these great big pillars um that are in front of the door and they'd stuck all these huge big plastic daisies on them and I thought because it was it was um, the whole exhibition was to do with how impressions mm-hmm. had responded to the theme of gardens, and there was this incredible <laughs> Van Gogh painting. Funnily enough, back to Van Gogh, and I it's the first time I'd seen one mm-hmm. like an actual one, a real one in front of me, and I felt like I could have fallen into it because the energy and how he applied the paint, the brushstrokes, how vivid it was. And I was in front of this painting for maybe a good 10, 15 minutes because every part of it just moved me in yeah. some way. And I was like, I'm buying the exhibition catalogue. And I went into the shop at the end and I picked up the exhibition catalogue and I flipped straight to that painting to check it was in there. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, and it was just so flat and lifeless. And it made me so upset. And I was like, oh my God, of course, how can you replicate mm-hmm. something I mean you can talk about it obviously you know you can say oh Um, well you know this bit's raised this this bit's deeper this bit's darker and you can you know you can analyze it to the nth degree but like you say just actually being there and and it you know it making an impression on you um is is something that you can't you can't really do in a book and you know you can try on screen uh you know a a lot of um I've seen a few videos where they've done like 3D painting, so with VR and they've moved around. And I think that's really cool, really, really cool, really interesting and a really, um, a really great way, another great way of using technology. But it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily the same. So I, I, I guess really it's more, it's more about like, not necessarily a virtual exhibition, but like, the next phase of like virtual art maybe just the way that that's going to change um because that's going to have to adapt isn't it mm. if if we're spending a lot more time virtually then that's going to have to adapt to have our like keep us interested i guess and be current but uh, or, and also be reflective of this time it's going to be interesting to see how much works um 
talk about this time of you know where art has been a little bit strangled because of um covid and lockdowns and what have you is is that going to be represented in any way through any of the the next pieces of art and are they going to reflect how art has been viewed well that's it and even how art has been made like you said you know if you think of like everything art has to move with the times you know it's if I think of someone like David Hockney for example who in 2010 I think it was did a whole series of iPad drawings and the art world was like that's disgusting what are you doing and no oh my gosh especially the Guardian and funnily enough I've got an episode coming out in a few weeks by the time this goes out it will be out um and uh, the lovely girl that I'm speaking to Hannah who's an artist and, and loves Hockney we chat about the the hatred of them when they first came out but actually it's a great way of breaking mm-hmm. down the sort of the traditional elitism that surrounds art you know people love this bohemian idea of like an artist at their easel or an artist standing in front of a huge big block of marble like chipping away at a sculpture and the art yeah. world and how art is made one has never been that <laughs> and it is is you have to move with the time so it's great when you have all these amazing things like Chris Milk and um you know Pippi Lotti and even this Van Gogh experience it's a way of moving art along with the times and and it's going to be really exciting mm-hmm. to see how people create art using you know using technology using virtual experiences and how that can hopefully reignite a love of engaging and also perhaps finally mm-hmm. break down this fear of entering gallery spaces because you don't know how to view something or you don't feel comfortable viewing something in a way I think mm-hmm. there's so many you know particularly the generation that's coming up behind us they've grown up looking at screens they're comfortable with screens so if you put screens in, in a gallery environment regardless of what's going on around them they're going to know how to interact with that and feel really comfortable yeah and I, and absolutely I where is where is the harm, the harm? um like I guess taking screens out of your home is in terms of virtual experience uh, like you say put it into a gallery space and see how it you know see how that that adapts with artwork and the times and what have you I guess the the virtual experience mm. would then be obviously art but like seeing an art piece on your phone in your home seems completely removed again you know you know what I mean it's it's like um yeah it's like obviously <laughs> the white cube being being a space where you're told whatever's in there is art you know seeing it on your phone at home does that take away from it being art because it's not even though it is a piece that would be on a screen in a gallery when they're open but seeing it on your phone does that I don't know sorry just like my mind's just gone to those places no it's it's so funny because um I never got to this exhibition actually but because I couldn't physically get tickets Mm -hmm. for it but um, I think 2018 or 2019 that the Royal Academy in London um, took a video artist so his name is is Bill Viola and placed his work side by side with Michelangelo and it was a really interesting contrast Mm -hmm. between how how they were both so powerful but in their own but in their own way and, and, have, and of their own time. I mean, this is a huge big question that I don't think we're going to figure out in this sort of hour-long podcast, but it's a conversation I would love listeners to keep having and to think about. And yeah, it's just, I think it's quite exciting actually to see how we can use technology to to encourage more people to engage with the arts, mm-hmm. to to 
be make it more accessible and to experiment and make it more fun and 100 yeah definitely um you know seeing technology and video just kind of evolve into what it is now it is very exciting to see uh you know where it could find itself even in even in like five years time i think it's a very um very exciting moment Lauren, thank you so, so much. Um, I feel like I could talk to you for about five and a half hours about this, but uh, <laughs> you've given me more than enough of your time. Uh-huh. Um, so before I go, I do have one final question. It's quite a big question. And it is the Joe's Art History podcast. So you can take this question sort of as wide or as personal to you. But my question is, why is, a big is question. Um <laughs> Uh, I think art is important because it's uh, it's an expression. It's reflective of yourself, but also the world that you're living in. And it's an outlet, which I think now more than ever is so important to be able to be emotionally, to, to be able to emotionally release um, something, even if it's, mark making or anything like art is so important to being able to communicate feelings um and moments and I think that's why it's important I love asking people that question and especially <laughs> when everyone goes oh and they always have like a good 10 seconds of yep big question thank you but I don't warn anyone about it so <laughs> but amazing amazing answer I just I love asking that question um, so finally, before you go, Lauren, where can people uh, find you? I've got a few places. So I've got a website um, which shows a fair bit of my creative work, which is www.justlaurenharrison.com. <laughs> so that's J-U-S-T-L-A-U-R-E-N-H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. Um, and I also have Instagram. I've got um, one where I'm just pottering about, which is uh at bruise underscore and underscore chats so bruises in your cup of tea and chats um and i also have more of my work in progress for my artistic practice uh which is at kath underscore e underscore ode so c-a-t-h underscore e underscore o-d-e amazing And I will leave links to all of that in the show notes below. And um, yes, people, if you've enjoyed this chat, please get in touch with Lauren and follow her on our socials. And yeah, see what she's up to in creating (laughs) because you will be back out in the world once it decides to fix itself, making and creating. And definitely next time I'm in Leeds, we have to meet for a coffee and a drink because this is just, I'm loving this chat so much. And there you have it, another episode of the Joe's Art History Podcast. Once again, thank you so much to Lauren. This was such an interesting chat. It's got me thinking about loads of things, particularly for my own interests, where the art world can go with the digital, the possibilities, how we can use this incredible tool to make art more accessible, more enjoyable and just more encouraging really for people to sort of get out and up into galleries. It's really, really important that all institutions, not just, you know, new contemporary galleries who are at the forefront of all these new waves of improvements, embrace them 
It has to be embraced by everybody and it has the potential to be incredible. And I'm really excited to see what happens with this. If you've enjoyed this chat, please feel free to let us know. You can contact me, joesarthistory at gmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram at joesarthistory. And hey, while you're DMing me, why not give me a wee follow? That would be brilliant. As always, all the images that we've discussed can be viewed via my Instagram, so at joesarthistory once again. And you can also find them on my website. However, I might stop uploading them to the website because I've had a look at the analytics and really only about three people do that. So if that's something that you don't want me to, to stop doing, like please do you know, get in touch and let me know. This podcast can also be viewed via YouTube as well and you can listen along with subtitles as it's very important for me that this podcast is inclusive and not listening via a phone or on your television is the best way for everyone to enjoy podcasts and I completely understand that. If I can improve the videos in any way on YouTube, please also get in touch and let me know. Feedback is always welcome. Further to that, if you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to get in touch. I would love to hear from you. If you're able to, from on the device that you're listening on, it would mean the world to me if you could leave me a review, if you were able to on whatever platform you're listening to this. I don't think you can leave reviews on Spotify, so Spotify listeners, you're off the hook. However, iTunes people, please, please leave me a wee review. It helps move me up the charts and it helps other listeners find us as well. Finally, I have been your host and resident art historian, Joe McLaughlin, as always. And thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you next time on the Joe's Art History Podcast. Until then, keep learning and remember, art is for all. I'm off to go book tickets to this Vincent Van Gogh thing. Bye.